Welcome home to a life without limits, where you honor your alignment, nourish your soul, and awaken your inner goddess. Some days we fly, some, well, we've got you, sister. Abundance is your birthright. This is your remembrance. Hot Mess Goddess, juicy conversations for a luscious life. Cozy up for this conversation with the beautiful Erin Beeman. She's got so many qualifications, including life coach, NLP practitioner, timeline therapist, and a yoga teacher and counselor. And one of the things that she is so passionate about is cultivating unconditional self-worth from the inside out. And of course, as with everyone, it comes from her own journey from self-loathing to self-love. And her message is just so important. And her story is so beautiful. Beautiful. Grab a cuppa and soak up Erin's beautiful wisdom. Welcome Erin to the podcast. Oh, so exciting to have you here today. Thank you, gorgeous woman. Thank you for having me. I have loved chatting with you in the past. It just brings me so much joy that we get to do this again and share it with a wider audience. You're just such a beacon of light. That's how I always see you. You're this grounded, beautiful, earthy beacon of light. Yeah, I'm just so happy to share your message, which is all about self-love and self-empowerment, but you're the perfect person to describe that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. It's funny, actually, when you approached me, my initial reaction was like, well, what do I have to share? What can I talk about? And I just said yes anyway, because I knew you and a little bit about you and I'd listened to some of your podcasts and I thought, yes, I have to talk to that woman. So I wanted to share a little bit about the journey from self-loathing to self-love and how we can cultivate self-worth from the inside out. It is the majority of work that I do with clients. So I'm a qualified life coach, counselor, NLP practitioner, timeline therapist, and yoga teacher. A lot of the work that I've been doing with clients over the last three years in the coaching space, in the empowerment and transformation coaching, is bringing people back to themselves back to connection with self and to the truth of who they are. And in that way, clients can start to cultivate more connection, more self-love. They start to be able to discern their boundaries a bit more. They get clear on their values, on their beliefs and what's holding them back and then what can actually help them feel empowered and allow them to move forward. It always comes back to the self and yeah, yeah that self-worth has been a huge part of my journey as well and a lot mm. of the work that I've been doing. So how did you actually get to be doing this? <laughs> it's been a big journey. It's been a very big journey. I spent a lot of my life disconnected from myself and we can talk a little bit more about that. But the way that I got here, I guess, was from the age of about 30. So for the past 11 or so years, I embarked on a massive healing journey. I um, took a deep dive into my beliefs and my values and I sort of started with the very basic stuff. So I started with nutrition and then I found yoga and then I was like, I need the 
there's something more. And then it turned into counselling and mindset. And then coaching was actually the missing piece of the puzzle. And in that process of training up as a coach, I was actually healing myself. And in that way, then I could help share that with others and facilitate their growth and healing as well. So do you want me to tell you the backstory? Yeah, I'd love to hear the backstory behind that. The backstory is where all the juice is. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm super happy with the progress and the evolution and where I am now. And it's funny when I was thinking about doing this with you, I was like, wow, I've never looked at my backstory that closely, to be honest. Even though I've done a lot of healing work, it's a big picture view of the past and I've never shared it really with anyone. So this is my first time. So let's see how this goes. (laughs) It'll be perfect. (laughs) Thank you. I just knew for a really long time that I was unhappy. I was disconnected from self. Excuse me. Oh, that throat chakra. I know. And this always happens when I speak, which is really interesting. I think for so many years, I was used to not being heard and I was used to staying quiet and staying small. And that was a result of my lack of self-worth and my lack of self-love. I so feel you on that. Yeah. So forgive the throat chakra as it comes up. So the journey has very much been, yeah, from disconnection to connection and from self-loathing to self-love. And through doing a bit of counselling and the coaching work, I understand now that this happens at a very early age that, you know, the imprint phase is zero to seven. And so in my imprint phase, zero to seven, my father left the scene and I got a stepfather at 18 months. I grew up with my stepfather and had two sisters and the age gap with them was five and eight years. And we moved around a lot. So I had like seven different houses, five different schools in the length of period that I was in school. And I always had this sense that I didn't belong or that there was something different about me or there was something wrong with me. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but that was just how I felt. And I think because there was the gap in age with my stepsisters and with, you know, my stepfather being their father, but not mine, I always felt that he favored them and he was a little bit harder on me. And so I think that sort of embedded that belief that I'm different in some way or I don't belong. I didn't meet my birth father until I was 21. And I think the moving around and the instability sort of exacerbated that belief because every couple of years I had to resettle in a new place and I had to resettle in a new school and make new friends and sort of start all over again. So I never had that stability or that place of belonging. And that sort of continued out through those years And I think as I became a teenager, it got a little bit worse. So that belief that was deeply embedded, it came to the surface a little bit more and I didn't know how to deal with it. At the age of 13, I think it was, I created um, an eating disorder. So I I became bulimic and that came out of my lack of self-love. It came out of a really strong sense of hatred towards myself, really strong sense of like, you're not good enough, you're ugly, you're not smart enough, you don't look a certain way, you have bad skin, you're a little bit overweight. All of these things that I would say to myself and in the background there's that belief that, you know, I'm different, I'm not one of the family because I'm someone else's. And then it just seemed to get worse, to be honest. At the age of 15, my parents separated 
and I got into a lot of alcohol and a lot of drugs. I had a bit of sexual trauma when I was 14. And I remember going for my first pap smear and I just burst into tears. The doctor was like, you have depression. And I was like, how? How could you know that? You know, like just from that one thing. And I was like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. This was like 25, 26 years ago. So I don't think depression was that well known or well spoken about. I don't know if that's just my perception, but it was very much undiagnosed. I just went through my teenage years feeling really down about myself, trying to avoid my emotions with alcohol, with drugs, with my friends and trying to buffer that pain by numbing and avoiding, you know, the feeling you're nodding. <laughs> Mm, very well. Mm. I think so many of us do. It's, it's not yeah. as uncommon as we make ourselves out to believe. You know, we make ourselves to be this really bad person that has done all these things or has numbed ourselves like that. And it's not until you share your story that when you have those people nodding, going, Yeah, I get that. That was me too, that you realize that you weren't so alone after all. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's such a beautiful feeling to know that we're not alone. So the teenage years were pretty rough and then there was things going on in my family and I just, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to handle my emotions. So at the age of 19, I just took off overseas and I went overseas and I thought that that would fix everything, but it didn't. Like I still had this deep sense of like unworthiness. I, I didn't like school. I didn't know what I wanted to do after school. And my friends did and they went to uni and they were doing these things. And I was just lost. I was lost. I was disconnected. My family unit was a bit broken and dysfunctional. And I went overseas thinking that something would happen. I was very much, you'll be familiar with this, NLP, below the line. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very much below the line. I was very much in victim mode. I was very much like life doesn't happen for me. It happens to me. I had no idea that I could create my experience. Like I just drifted along from country to country, drinking a lot, eating bad food, fucking up relationships because I hated myself so much that I couldn't let someone else love me. I'd create problems and then I'd just leave because I couldn't communicate. Yeah. <laughs> And I couldn't handle the emotions and I couldn't handle the pain. And so that was a pattern that I played out until probably my mid-20s. And then as luck would have it, I met the man that I stayed with for 10 years. And this brings us back to our topic. It always comes back. I always placed my self-worth on external people, external events. If I was in a relationship, I was successful. That was my definition of success. And if I uh, had friends and people liked me, I was successful too. And that was where my self-worth came from. It was very low, but if I had at least those two things, I had some. And when I got married, I was like, ah, oh, I'm worthy. Yes. <laughs> I'm someone's wife. Someone wants to marry me. I'm in a relationship. It seemed quite stable at the time. And I felt like I belonged. We moved to the other side of the country. I was quite happy to do that because of the fracturedness of my family. I was quite happy just to be away from that and find out who I was. And that also meant leaving all of my school friends that I loved to bits, but I also didn't know who I was while I was with them because I was the partier, I was the drinker, I was taking drugs and my health and well-being was suffering from that. And so we moved over to the other side of the country and I belonged and I had self-worth and I had family, even though it was like one husband and two dogs. 
it was my family <laughs> and I had my home and that made me feel worthy as well. I think I stopped my eating disorder around that time, maybe mid-20s. So that was about a 10-year experience. I actually started to move again, Sally. So it's so funny because I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, if I knew all these things, like if I knew that fast food was no good for my mental health, I mean, that sounds ridiculous to say that, but I did not make the connection. You know, I was like, oh yeah, fast food makes you fat or, you know, it's not good for you, but I did not know how much it would affect mood. Also throwing up, like binging and throwing yeah. up. Like, can you, like now I know what that does to my gut flora and how my gut flora will determine my well-being as well, my mood, so much exercise. I didn't move for like maybe 10 years, you know, I didn't exercise. I was just partying and drinking and that was it. And now I know that if we move, we move energy, it creates health and well-being. You know, if I knew then what I know now, the same saying. Always the way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so I wasn't making choices that were showing any sign of self-love or any sign of self-worth. Like nothing I did was an act of self-love. It was an act of avoidance or punishment. The things that I would say to myself were awful. And the marriage was a buffer to that. So there was about 10 years there where I felt really good. I felt worthy. I felt like I'd, I'd achieved success, even though I was still a bit lost as far as career and knowing my life path and that sort of thing. And then what happened was at 34, the marriage ended and it ended really quickly. Like there was no counseling, there was no communication. It was just like, I'm out. And that was, I think, the next level of my journey to self-worth because I was no longer someone's wife. I no longer owned a home because I had to sell that and lose all my money in that home. I had to start from scratch. So I had to go back to renting. I didn't have a relationship anymore. I was studying and luckily training in yoga. So I think that kept me nice and grounded, but I still didn't have any self-worth because the things that I placed my self-worth on were gone. And this is why I share my story because the last seven years have been a deep dive into creating and cultivating that self-worth without being reliant on anything else. I used to be so, I had a lot of shame around the end of the marriage and I didn't know that I did. And it was a shame around being a certain age, being single. It was shame around being a certain age and not having children, being a certain age and not owning my home anymore. There was a lot of shame because I felt by a certain age, I should be a certain place. Yes. <laughs> you know, I should have the man, I should have the children, I should have the house. A second house would be lovely. <laughs> you oh, know, absolutely. I should have the career. Yeah, I should have the career. I should have the stability. All of those external things again. Yeah, exactly. And it was really, I had some big, deep, dark, dark nights of the soul, I think is what they call it, isn't it? Where I had to just sit in that pain and that darkness of not being successful the way that society deems success you know, not having those things that we talked about, not having those external things. And so the last seven years have been really learning the tools to love myself without those things, without the relationship, without the home, without the family. And I guess that's why I can speak to you about it because I've lived it and I've been there. Yeah, I so feel you on that. 
I had a yeah. marriage that ended as well and mm. another relationship and it's yeah. it leaves you feeling so empty. Yes. And how do you fill that up? And whether you choose to fill that up, like the first time with me with alcohol, drugs, all mm. those things, to fill that void or whether you choose to fill yeah. that up with things that nourish you makes such a big difference. That's such a good point. And it was really interesting that you say that because this, when the marriage ended, I knew not to drink very much. I actually knew it like intuitively. I was like, that is not going to serve you. And so I didn't. And I'm grateful for that. And actually, I heard on one of your podcasts that you've recently stopped drinking. Yeah. And it wasn't even a choice. Yeah. It was just something that's happened since New Year's Eve. Yeah. But amazing. I have struggled with alcohol a lot throughout my life. Yeah. Always convinced myself that I was that all or nothing personality. So I don't just have one glass. I'll have way too many glasses or <laughs> the bottle <laughs> yeah, or two. Sometimes yeah, too. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was similar. I was. I would hang out until Friday, and even if I was alone, so this was in my marriage because he worked away. I would. Uh, my Friday night thing was like a, a bottle of white wine and a movie. Like that was my reward for getting to the end of the week. And I didn't realize how alcohol affected me energetically until very recently. And I've stopped drinking since September. Oh, congrats. Yeah, thank you. But similarly, it wasn't a conscious choice. It was just, I got so connected with my body that I now know what affects me physically, emotionally, and energetically. And that I think is the beginning of self-worth is first of all, connecting with ourselves so that we are actually in tune with how we feel when we're around certain people, when our boundaries are crossed or when we put things in our body and when we don't take time out for ourselves. So connection would be one of the first steps. And yoga helped me a lot with that. Yoga, the word itself means to yoke. It means union and it means connection. And luckily for me, I was doing teacher training when my marriage ended and it was in the season of autumn and the theme of autumn is letting go. Perfect. Yeah. And I always felt that I was like, it will be okay. Like you have this now. And I think if the marriage had ended earlier, I wouldn't have handled it as well as I was able to at 34 because I'd started the journey to self-worth. And it must have been in there as a seed because when the marriage ended, I was okay. Like I knew that I would be okay. And that's where um, sharing this is I want people to know that it's possible to feel that way even when everything falls apart. Doing the work, connecting with yourself, finding out who you are and what's important to you and practicing acts of self-love means that the whole world and I think of this year with COVID but yes. yeah you know like all of that can go to shit and you will still be okay if you do this work but more importantly because for each of us you know we are connected to self whether we realize it or not mm. the whole world is just oh that's so far away but when your own world crumbles and falls apart yeah you know that's what really cuts deep and I think that's where the self-worth and self-love practices even if you feel like shit on the floor yeah <laughs> love yourself while you're doing that 
and tell yourself yes. it's okay instead of beating yourself up for that. Oh my gosh, spot on. And that's only something I've learned in the last few years and something that I work with clients on as well is loving and nurturing ourselves even when we think we're unlovable. So my default was, um, like we talked about, depression for a long time. And then I started to know how good optimal health and well-being felt like. And then when I would fall back into depression or feeling a bit like a victim, having a little pity party for myself, then I would chastise myself because I'm like, you know better than this. You know all the tools. You're not allowed to feel this way and you are not good enough if you do. And part of the work with coaching is how to allow and accept and validate all emotions. That's a really interesting point because... Mm -hmm. So many people I know are already doing personal development or a fair way through their personal development journey, mm. whether they're at the beginning or at the end. They realize that whole victim triangle or the victim consciousness and how unhealthy it actually can be, you know, because then everything's external that happens to you. And it's mm -hmm. like, You're, you made me feel like this. You know, everything's <laughs> outside of yourself. But most people I know already know this. What are some tools? when you recognize this, mm. but you're still doing it, you know, like how do, you, yeah. how do you go beyond that when you're at that really conflicting place? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think there's a misconception that when we do the self-development work, we're never going to feel those bad emotions or those negative emotions. In coaching, we would say unresourceful. So not good or bad, but unresourceful or resourceful. Empowering or disempowering is another way of looking at it. And we think that we're going to become enlightened and we're never going to feel those things. And that's just not the case. So with the connection to self and with the growing self-awareness, we're able to catch ourselves when we are below the line a lot quicker. And what we work on is instead of punishing ourselves for feeling that way, we step into that place of like, what do you need right now? So if I'm like having a pity party and I'm upset because I'm not where I wanted to be or someone else is doing better or I'm still single or anything like that, if I catch myself having a pity party, I actually allow it. I allow it. I talk to myself as if I'm a little girl and I soothe her. So I self-soothe and I'm like, it's okay. It will all be okay. This is just what you're feeling right now and it will pass. And when we validate the emotion, which is what I say to myself is like, of course you feel that way. Of course you're upset. You know, you're still single or you're still renting or you're, you're still doing this or not doing that. I'm like, of course, of course you feel depressed, upset, anxious, any of those things. And it's all okay. And then when we allow that emotion to be heard, to be seen, to be identified and validated, that emotion won't stick around. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because we're not creating a story around it. We're not saying you're not good enough because you feel this way. How dare you feel sorry for yourself? Why aren't you grateful for all of the things that you have? You have so much more than they do down there or, you know, any of those things. When we're not saying that, the energy can just flow. It doesn't yep. need to stay stuck. Yeah. That's definitely what I did for a long time when I started personal development was like anything <laughs> that I thought was bad, mm. I'd suddenly go, oh, I'm not looking at that be the light, see the light. It's all good. Like, yeah. look at all the things I'm grateful for. I'm just going to focus on that. Not that over there. I don't want to see that. 
you know, and a just complete avoidance of it all because it felt awful. And, yes. you know, growing up, we're told, yeah. we're told off for feeling like that. Yeah, definitely. And so it's like, oh, I can't go there. That's bad. Yeah, exactly right. So it's unraveling all of that conditioning that tells us we're not good enough if we don't act or feel a certain way if we're not only in those high vibe vibrations. And for those of you out there, you'll know it's a problem if you stay there too long. So if you've nurtured and self-soothed and identified what the emotion is or why you're feeling a certain way, and if you've validated it and self-soothed, and then you find out that an hour later it's still there or a few hours or days, then that's when you know that you might need to do some more work around it because that's when it becomes unresourceful. Because feeling depressed and having a pity party and feeling a bit anxious for 15 minutes, half an hour isn't an issue. It's only an issue if it stops us from moving towards our goals, from achieving the things that we want to achieve. That's the only time it becomes a problem. Emotions in themselves are not issues. They can come and they can go if we allow them. But we live in a society, I think, that just has identified them as good or bad, right or wrong, non-lovable if you feel them, <laughs> yeah, lovable if you're high vibing all the time and rainbows and lollipops. and <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah. So it's finding that, it's cultivating that self-worth to know that you're still worthy if you're depressed, you're still worthy if you're anxious, and it's only an issue if it lasts and you stay stuck there. Yeah, and one thing that's definitely helped me too is to not label those emotions as good or bad. They're, yeah. they're just beautiful messages now. Yeah. Because I used to freak yeah. out that if I did allow myself, you know, because there's so much now about allowing yourselves to go into your shadow and to really feel the pain and <laughs> acknowledge it. And I, um, I used to be scared to do that because it's, oh, but I know how fast I can manifest. I don't want to stay in that vibration for too long because what else am I going to attract from that point? Yeah. And I didn't want to attract more of those feelings if I stayed there. Yeah, I guess for me, it was realizing that I can feel that and love those emotions for the messages that they provide rather than beating myself up for feeling them. That was a really big difference for me. And then I, yeah. because I don't generally stay there too long anyway. I, I used to think I was bypassing because I would come out of them so quickly and I'd be fine. Yeah. Everyone's going, well, why are you feeling so chirpy? Like I'm still hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just, I've dealt with that. I'm good now. Yes. And I used to feel bad for even allowing myself to come out of it so quickly. So it's a really fine line, isn't it? It is. It's all the self-judgment. Oh, so much, so much. And if we just were a little bit gentler and softer with ourselves, we'd probably have an easier ride. I love what you said about that because sometimes we want to hang on to the pain. So you sounded like you were quite good at like feeling it and then letting it go and then moving on because that is how quickly it can happen. But sometimes if we've been practicing the same emotion for so many years, our body actually changes biochemically to become addicted to that emotion. So it will be harder for those people that are listening that have been, you know, fit down in those heavier emotions for so many years. And then that's when we want to work with neuro-linguistic programming or timeline therapy to actually reprogram the brain to start feeling and thinking a different way. But sometimes, and, and I speak from experience, sometimes I wanted to hang on to the pain. I wanted to, gosh, I don't know why I, I had to grieve and I wanted to grieve in my own time. I had to grieve, you know, when I talked about the loss of the marriage and the loss of the house, I had to grieve not having children. I had to grieve not finding another relationship 
for, for a really long time. And I had to allow those things because grief is a valid expression of loss. Yeah, it is huge. And I will just say too that, you know, I lost my best friend at 17. I think I spent 20 years grieving. Yeah, wow. So that wasn't something I could just get over, although I tried really hard with all that substance abuse and... And I even went through a stage of going, well, that's the worst thing that can ever happen to me. So anything else that happens, I palmed off as not being so bad at all. (laughs) So my everything that happened, husband cheating, ah, she'll be right. Like it's not as bad as her dying, so it's fine. Or I actually thought that I deserved it because I'd been bad or what, you know, all of those things that came up. So I spent most of my life grieving in some way, shape or form, whether it was her death, whether it was my marriage breakup, all the things that I had fucked up in my life, which have been many. So I, I had grieved a lot. And so I yeah. think now I'm a lot better at it because I've practiced that self-love exactly what you said. It makes the yeah. biggest difference. Yeah, definitely. And I'm still not perfect at it by any means. Oh, it's a gosh, work in progress. No. <laughs> of course, we all are. We all are so much. And one of the neuro hacks that I use now is when I am feeling depressed, like I ask myself the question, what would be an act of self-love right now. So when I'm feeling down, now I don't see it as a lack of, as me not being good enough or not managing my emotions. I see it as my little girl needing some support, needing some love. So it might be having a bath or listening to an audio book or going to the beach or just doing some yoga. I will ask myself, instead of punishing her, I will love her and ask her what she needs. And that can change my mood in like three seconds. And sometimes too, self-love isn't all just the bubble bars and things like that. It mm. can putting on the saddest song you know and rolling your eyes out to it and singing <laughs> yes. it at the top of your lungs and really feeling that pity. And then yeah. you feel good because you've released Definitely. it all. Oh, that's so true. I saw, I got sent a song on Sunday and it was so beautiful. And the film clip was so beautiful. I just bawled my eyes out because I needed to and I didn't judge it and I didn't try and cap the crying like I just knew that it was a release of emotion and I'm okay with that now. That's what happens when you build that self-worth. And this is a really good point, actually, that we, we probably haven't touched on, but is very, very prevalent, is that we base our self-worth on the size that we are or how we look or the age that we are. And when we start to cultivate self-worth from the inside out, we can love ourselves at any age. We can love ourselves at any shape, any size, looking any certain way, having all of these different emotions. We get to choose to love ourselves through all of it. Yeah, that's so, so important because Mm. I still don't do Facebook Lives because of, well, I might do them really rarely (laughs) because I'm always judging the way I look. And I did have a beautiful astrologer friend say, yeah, but you're a Gemini. Of course, appearances are important to you. And it's like, I'm a Gemini too. (laughs) It doesn't help though, does it? And I don't want to be that superficial. And she goes, well, you are, you're a Gemini. It's like, oh. (laughs) I love that. That just puts something into place for me because being a Gemini as well. 
and I didn't do lives and I didn't get in front of the camera for so many years and I had such fear around being seen and being heard and I still it was a hangover from when I was younger it was like you don't look a certain way so you can't or you know people are going to see this side of you or this side of you or those wrinkles or that lopsided smile or something ridiculous and it was terrifying the first time I did a live and then doing a few more and just coming to a place of self-acceptance and it's like if I accept myself and who I am and how I look knowing that we're all going to look different and knowing that my size doesn't matter but as long as I feel happy and healthy from the inside out, then I have something to be proud of. And then I have self-esteem and self-worth because I've made healthy decisions for myself. And so once I come to self-acceptance, then I can go in front of the camera now and I'm not super concerned about what I look like anymore. It's very liberating. It's very freeing. And something that's helped me with that actually is connecting to so many people online and just seeing that we are all different looks, colors, genders, shapes, sizes. And it's amazing. It it truly is because I've seen you do lives. That was actually one of the things that came up for me because I always thought you're so stunning. You just speak with such ease and grace and, oh no, I can't do that. I'm not even going to try. And that comparison comes in so quickly as much as I might do a podcast and I'm learning to express this way, being seen is a, a whole nother layer there, which I'm struggling with right now, but moving towards. Yeah, I absolutely hear you. The amount of times that I wished that Facebook where I could do a live without a video yeah, <laughs> and just have audio, that would be fantastic. <laughs> and it's funny that you say that and thank you. I feel sometimes like the duck that's sitting on top of the water, all calm and still on the outside. And then the legs under the water yeah. are just kicking, kicking, kicking. And, and there's all that anxiety there. What my intention was for being seen a little bit more and my intention for doing this podcast is to share the things that I've spent 11 years learning that can help someone feel better within themselves or give them a tool that will help them deal with their emotions or see why they think a certain way or feel a certain way. And my intention was for that message and for people to hear what I wish I knew when I was depressed and disconnected and lost. I want people to know that they don't have to stay there if they don't want to, that there's proven tips and tools and methodologies and just little neuro hacks and that there's support and that they're not alone. And another one too, my daughter actually helped me with this. They're so wise, those young ones these days. Oh is to recognize the self-sabotage when it comes up. Yeah. Because one of the reasons that I don't do lives is because of the way I look, because Mm. my hair's never either done or, you know, I'm not very good at makeup. Makeup, when I go out to like a ball for my daughter's dad or something, takes me five minutes. That's the only way I know how to do it. So that's how (laughs) long it takes. And so I have all this judgment about the way I look. And my daughter said, well, Mum, if you don't do it because you haven't done your hair, why don't you do your hair? And I just went, oh, you're fucking kidding me. (laughs) How simple is that self-sabotage that I wasn't actually taking the time? You know, I'm going, oh, but then is it inauthentic because it's not who I am because I never do my hair anyway? It's actually just nourishing yourself. You are a Gemini. You are a Gemini and an overthinker. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) And she just put it so simply and it was like, oh, 
holy shit, I didn't even see that self-sabotage pattern coming up that Mm. I wasn't taking the time to even honor my appearance or this beautiful body I'm in. And there's nothing wrong with doing my hair nicely or doing my face or even if I am just at home for the day because it makes you feel better. Yeah. And I was using that as self-sabotage for not doing the things that I was, my soul was wanting me to do. It was holding me back. Oh, absolutely. And in that way, it was working for you. Oh yeah, very well. (laughs) Because if you did your hair, you'd actually have to show up. Exactly. And step into some fear. What are Mm. some things that, you know, I had Mm. a teenager shove that one in my face. (laughs) So so for all of us without teenagers? Yeah. What are some tools to help cultivate self-worth? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So what I want to say and what you probably already know, because you would have heard this, but whether or not you believe it is another thing. So your self-worth is non-negotiable. It's not reliant on external factors. You might not be where you want to be right now. You might not have the relationship that you want right now or the career or the home, but that doesn't mean that you're not worthy. So all of those things are just external things that are giving you feedback that if you're not happy right now, you can change any one of those things and there's help out there to help you do it. I guess that's the main thing that people need to know. And what if someone's going like, but how? Like if I seek help, that's another external thing. You know, what about? those people that are always looking outside of themselves as much as I love coaches and I always have mentors and will continue for the rest of my life. Yes. There's some things that I just need to do for myself as well. Yeah, definitely. So start cultivating that connection with yourself. So journaling is a really good tool. Start getting clear on what your values are and what your beliefs are. So you can do this on your own easily. So values is one of the most important things, but probably beliefs underlie values, but they are the things that determine our experience of life. And they are our unconscious programming, getting clear on what your values are. And if you're not sure what your values are, just ask yourself a few simple questions. So what do I spend my time doing? What do I spend my money on? Who are the people that I hang out with? What are the conversations that I have? What makes my heart sing? So five questions. Get clear on your values. When you get clear on your values, you can get clear on your beliefs. And again, if you're not sure what your beliefs are, look around you. And for some people, a deep sense of unworthiness is going to be really easy to identify because they're going to know it. They're going to consciously know that they feel unworthy. And then for others, it's going to be a little bit more insidious and a little bit more covert. And it's going to show up in the relationships that they're choosing. It's going to show up in the job that they're staying in that they hate. They're probably the biggest ones, the relationships with families and friends. So get clear on your beliefs. I believe I am, or I believe I am not worthy of this. And so we start with values, beliefs, and you can do that through journaling. Cultivating self-worth, once you know who you are and what your values and beliefs are, you start to make better decisions in alignment with that truth of who you are. So you'll start to make better decisions with what you put in your body. So once you connect with your body, it's really hard to treat it badly because to treat your body badly is not an act of self-love. And once you've cultivated that connection, you'll find it really difficult to go and do things that are toxic, whether that be relationships, food, alcohol, drugs. Yeah. 
So true. Yeah. And I would say that that is probably three really good starting points for people that are wondering how to cultivate self-worth. And then the other really important thing is like once you're connected to yourself and you know what's important to you and you start having boundaries and letting go of things that aren't serving you anymore and starting to invite more things in, that's when your self-worth grows because you're actually choosing to spend your money on like nourishing things. Rituals start coming into place. You start spending your time on your health and well-being, and what you're doing there is putting your optimal self first. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. And the <laughs> okay. more you start to do that, the more others around mm. you seem to just automatically honor that too. Definitely. Definitely. So someone without any boundaries or someone that's in the people pleaser role, feeling like they have to put everyone else first to feel like they're loved or feel like they're worthy or they belong, they are completely disconnected from themselves. And they will usually get to a point where they're at breaking point, where it's like this can't go on any longer because they've been that disconnected. They've found their worth in trying to please everyone else. And it's sort of eaten away at their self-worth. We never get the response you want. No. And that's the thing, like we talked about with external events and placing our worth out there. We can never be sure of how someone else is going to react. We can never be sure of how the world will react to us. But if we have cultivated self-love and self-worth, then we know that we stand strong and steady in the midst of everything. Yes. And how everyone else reacts from that is just a reflection of where they are not of you and your worth. Yeah, that's a really good point. And for those of you that feel like you're going to take this journey and you're going to cultivate self-worth, know that there will be people that may leave your life because sometimes us having low self-worth works really well for everyone else in our lives. Yeah. Because there are people out there that love you being a people pleaser because they're getting their needs met and they don't care that you're not getting your needs met. So cultivating self-worth is knowing yourself, connecting to yourself, values, beliefs, and then that would be needs as well. Once you know those things, you know what your needs are, your standards for your health, your standards for connection, your standards for career, your standards for where you live and who you hang out with. Everything starts to change. I love that so much. And Mm. once you start giving yourself Mm. what you needed from others, whether they choose to stay or not is completely irrelevant. But once you choose to give it to yourself, it's unnecessary whether they give you what you need or not either. Oh, I love that That's so much. That's just been much. so big for me. Yes. I love that so much. And I think of relationships for me when you say that, because if we give so much to other people and we don't give to ourselves first, when that person leaves or if that person leaves, who are we? And that's the rebuilding process that most of us have to go through after a relationship ends. And something that I've learned along with you learning it as well is like the relationship should be the icing on the cake. The relationship, the career, the home, the job, the whatever you want to insert there should be the icing on the cake, but you are the cake. Do things that are healthy choices for you. Be consciously aware of your boundaries. Let go of what doesn't serve you. Attract in what does. And then you are a whole being. You are the whole cake. And then anything you choose to come in on top of that is just the icing. It's not a necessity. Yeah. I love that so much. I'm going to be walking around for the rest of my life. (laughs) I am the freaking cake. (laughs) I'm the whole cake. Bring on some icing. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and in that way, we know that those external things are not necessities, that they are just beautiful additions if we choose them to be. That's such a perfect way to wind up too. Thank mm. you. Oh, thank you. How can we get in touch with you too? What's a great way for others if they really want to experience your magic on a personal level? Ah, oh, yeah, definitely. Or watch um, your lives or yeah, yeah. really get nourished. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. I'm most active on Facebook. So just Erin Beeman on my Facebook page. So you can come and join and have a look there. And if you want to know a little bit more about what I do, then erinbeeman.com is my website. And yeah, definitely would love to connect with you out there and drop me a message and we can talk. I love that. You are such an open person too. So Mm. like when you say that, I know you really mean it. Definitely. I love meeting tribe connecting with tribe, like-minded souls. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be ever so grateful if you'd share it around with friends and subscribe so you get every episode hot off the press.